welcome back to just the girl in true crime guys i'm your host heaven i know it's been a while since i've uploaded but i hope everybody's been doing good um we are back with part two of oh my microphone hold on we are about we are back with part two of the john benet ramsey case and I lost all my bookmarks, so I've been trying to find them. So that's what took me a little bit longer than normal. Um, let's recap. So at the end, well, not we'll start at the beginning of a recap. We were going through the ransom note a lot in part one, um, and how that played a huge part, and how Patsy Ramsey found it, which was very odd. Um, people think she wrote it. I kind of think she wrote it um and first they thought John Bonet was just kidnapped and then it turned into a murder case when her dad John found his daughter's body and he carried her up the stairs and that is where we ended so that's just a little bit of recap um and now we're just gonna finally hop into it because this is probably gonna be a three-parter so strap in Okay, so John finds his daughter, you know, and instead of going to get police, like, to search, like, where they found her in the wine cellar, he actually takes her body upstairs. And, you know, you guys, you probably shouldn't do that. You probably should just go get investigators. Normal. Um, John had actually ripped the duct tape that was on John Bonet's mouth off. And then he then he picked her up. She was 47 inches long and 45 pounds. So when she had the duct tape on her, she had duct tape on, like I said, and she also around her neck um, and wrist was nylon. I saw nylon and I saw other stuff, so... Um... And they were just wrapped, like I said, they were wrapped in nylon. Her body was covered with a white blanket when he found her. Now, before I describe anything else, some um, about, you know, John Bonet's body being found, something did stick out to people or police. The sticky side of the duct tape, okay? It had a perfect imprint of her lips, but no indication of a protruding, like, tongue or any effort to like dislodge the tape you know like if you have tape of your mouth you'd like try to like unstick it they said that didn't have it so they thought that the tape was actually used in a prop um to like stage the scene to make it look like she was actually abducted and the cord that or nylon that was wrapped around her they said it was far too loosely to actually you know restrain a living child and as well as on her wrist. So they thought that that stuff as well was to like basically stage an abduction scene. The route to the basement um, actually would be very difficult for a stranger, especially at night, to like, you know, find its way in. And I touch base like back on that. Um, let alone if, you know, John Bonet was struggling, if a kidnapper like was there and actually did this and everything. Um, it would be very hard for them to find it. All right. 
because, you know, like, some lights are not in the right place. Like, what if it was in, like, a weird place? Um, they couldn't find it and stuff like that. Now, Patsy's mother, Nedra, repeated to the detectives that it had became a theme from family and a like and also a former nanny and former friends that they said you couldn't find the basement in that house if you didn't know where it was it was impossible they said you know like it's downstairs but you don't know what door to go through um to find this wine cellar they said there's a lot of doors that look like basement doors in this house. So, you know, that just seems weird to me. Um, Lee, the one that was with John, his friend, actually ran upstairs for an ambulance. And Priscilla, his wife, and Barbara Fernie, they actually left Patsy on the couch where she was sitting. And they hurried toward the commotion. But Patsy kind of just, like, stayed where she was. She didn't, like, get up and she didn't run over to see what it was. She just, she just stayed put where she was. And I asked, you know, did she already know what was going on? Did she know that something was down there? Linda, the detective, she actually saw, she was the first one, I believe, to see John carrying his, de- his dead daughter's body. Um, her John Bonet's unsupported arms were extended above her head and realized that Morgan rigor mortis had set in and that she had been dead for some time. Linda quotes John as telling her just then, this is what he said to her, as soon as he brought John Bonet up, it has to be an inside job. Now, I said, because I foreshadowed, or whatever you want to call it, why would you just go come out of the blue and, like, to a detective who's working on the case, right? Why would you just come out and say something like that? That seems super sketchy for her father to say, oh, it seems like an inside job. I mean, that, that's a little weird. Now, rigor mortis sets in about 6 to 12 hours. There's... There was also a scent of uh, decomposition. Patsy also said her daughter went to bed wearing a red turtleneck, although she was that was actually found up bald in her bathroom. And she was instead wearing what she had worn at the Christmas party, and that was a white pullover. So Patsy said, that's not what I put her to bed in. I put her in that red turtleneck that was in her bathroom. Because remember, they took forever to, um, they took forever to block off the crime scene, and they only blocked off John Bonet's bedroom. They didn't block anywhere else in the house because people were roaming. We talked about that in the first one, which was very weird. Patsy, for years, she actually dealt with severe bedwetting, and similar challenges, um, she had faced with her daughter. Like her daughter had the same problem. Detectives took note of this while, can, while they like considered the change of clothes in the, um, you know, they got a pediat, they got a um opinion of their pediatric panel that John Bonet suffered previous abuse. And then at one thirty, 
a detective actually had heard John Ramsey calling his um private not private he called his pilot and was scheduling a trip to Atlanta that evening for himself his wife and his son now that's very weird because now that's very strange that you found your daughter's body and you're trying to go to Atlanta so detective sergeant larry mason basically told him like you can't leave this is an active crime scene we found your daughter you can't go anywhere essentially so he um they ended up staying with the fernies and they were like okay well i guess we can't leave which why would you want to leave you just found your daughter's body that's a little weird so after they found her body the ramses i mean they really weren't giving much information the first, like, the whole time they were there before, they didn't, like, when the, um, when the kidnappers, right, said they were going to call between, like, 8 and 10 a.m., they didn't really, like, mention that's police, like, after it struck 10, they were like, oh my god, they haven't called. So, they, I mean, they were already withholding information, in my opinion, and after they found her body, they just really stopped cooperating with the police. Like I said, since they couldn't leave, they decided to stay at the Fernie's residence. And literally literally within only a few hours of discovering their daughter's dead body, um, they began assembling their team of many lawyers and private investigators. And John even hired separate attorneys for him and Patsy, which only guilty people do that, I feel. I mean, if you don't have anything to hide, you know, just let the police do their investigation, you know? Um, They even paid for lawyers for a number of other family members, which I think that's a little strange. But, you know, maybe the police would try to put it on somebody else. So maybe they wanted to be, like, safe than sorry. I actually don't know that. I just find it a little strange. Um, and they even hired a high-powered public relations expert. Um, in the early days of the case, the Boulder police unwisely, you know, they treated Ram- the Ramses like nothing other than victims. I mean, sure, you know, they probably had some speculation, like, that it was a little weird. But, you know, that that was their job. I mean, your job is to look at everybody. But yet, apparently, it never occurred to John or his very capable private investigators, you know, who were hard at work by the day after the murder, to share anything, you know, not even a shred of their findings with the police, you know, who were at work, like, searching the house for whoever did this to John Bonet. They were there, they were trying to figure it out, um, and they just, like I said, they just didn't cooperate. So, that probably made the case. Ten times harder. So here is the autopsy that I found. The coroner, Dr. John Meyer, found evidence of sexual assault from the previous night. Um, this is gonna get a little like weird, um, and very graphic. So trigger warning, I guess. Um, they found small abrasions and small amounts of her own blood and both her underwear and vagina. Three medical 
consoling for the police say that the injuries were also consistent with prior, prior sexual abuse. As the Denver Post reported the Dem- um, on December 27th autopsy, they found scraping and swelling of the child's vaginal area, as well as a series of scrapes on her back and right shoulder, left lower back, and left lower leg. Okay. Now, a lady named Sheila Rappaport, a Denver prosecutor who tries individuals accused of sexually assaulting or killing small children, said such pattern is indicated of such assault because skull fractures often do not produce bleeding. The minimal blood from John Bonet's large fracture does not indicate whether she had been first strangled, and then they used a black light to help reveal that her body had been actually wiped clean, but there was residue, there was like a residue of blood that was left on her thighs. So whoever wiped her down didn't wipe everything down, or they just forgot her thighs, which seemed very, very weird to me. Um, also, there was a paintbrush handle that was used as a lig that ha- um, was used as a ligature, and it had been broken off at the tip. Now, they never found that in the house, but I'm going to get back to the paintbrush as well. So, keep that in your noggin. The cause of death um, of John Bonet was asphyxiation by strangulation associated with cranial cerebral trauma. I think I pronounced that right. I believe whoever... Um, Whoever killed John Bonet, they actually found like a homemade garrote. And I didn't know what a garrote was until I looked it up and I didn't write it down. So, all right. Now, in an unquartled moment, I think that's what I put um, during an online chat forum um, in 2015, which this person thought was relatively like private border police chief mark becker placed more focus on the parents than he normally would he wrote this we know from evidence she was hit on the head very hard with an unknown object possibly a flashlight or a or like a similar type thing like a similar type item to like a flashlight The blow knocked her out into deep unconsciousness, which may have led someone to believe that she was actually dead. Now, it's crazy that he brings up the flashlight because I do circle back to it, but just keep it in mind. He also said the strangulation came 45 minutes to two hours after the head strike, based on the swelling on the brain. While the head wound would have eventually killed her, The strangulation actually did kill her. The rest of the scene um, was believed um, to be staged, including the vaginal trauma to make it look like a kidnap slash assaulting gone bad. Now, John, John Ramsey said that, you know, he carried his sleeping daughter into the house after the Christmas party and he put her right to bed that night. But when the coroner was, like, still doing the autopsy, he actually found something in her stomach, which may represent, like, a fragment of pineapple. 
So maybe she had woken up, you know, maybe got a midnight snack. We don't really know. We don't know how she got the pineapple in her. Let's say that. But police, you know, they did find a small bowl of pineapple on the Ramsey's dining table. Now, what is strange is that Patsy doesn't remember serving her daughter pineapple that night, and so she insisted that to police. But it does become a very important piece of evidence for several reasons. It can speak to the timeline event timeline events on the night of the murder and also who may have perpetrated the crime. But like I said, no pineapple was served at this party. As far as anyone knew, all John Binet had eaten was cracked crab. So this is where the pineapple begins to like go into the timeline events basically or like they go into questioning. Like it makes it question it. If John Bonet, you know, did in fact did indeed have fruit only an hour or two after she died, then she would have had to eat it after returning home from the party. Cause it wasn't served at the party, so when she was supposed supposedly sleeping. That's what was true. Her dad said they came home, he put her right to bed, and that was it. So, where'd the pineapple come from? So, theoretically, if John Bonet was not given the pineapple by her family, they say, you know, the killer must have done that. If the perpetrators stopped what they were doing to prepare a snack and then they decided to wait an hour or more to kill John Bonet, it means that they probably were not in a rush. So, despite the facts, they didn't remember giving her any pineapple. It was found on the Ramsey's dining room table with a tall glass. The bowl, of, the, bowl, the bowl of pineapple had the fingerprints of Patsy and her son, Burke Ramsey, on it. And Burke's fingerprints were also on the glass as well. Okay. Now, obviously it's normal for, you know, the Ramses to have their fingerprints on their um, dishes. They obviously live there. They're going to be on them, okay? But there's also many possibilities about who could have gave her the fruit. But unfortunately, it's just one more detail in the case that may never result in, like, a satisfaction factory result we're never gonna know i mean maybe may like i said maybe she did wake up for a mit a snack i mean i don't think i don't think a killer would be like hey what do you want to eat before i kill you i i mean i just don't see the killer doing that i mean that just seems a little weird to me um so the blankets, okay, remember the blanket, the white blanket that John Bonet was found, that was found over her body. Um, hold on, just lost my spot. Oh, okay, the blanket that was draped over her body, 
Um, it just wasn't anybody's blanket. Um, it was her own blanket, okay? It was John Bonet's blanket. So, if somebody broke in and did all this, that means they carried her and they carried the blanket and they covered her up like that. Which, oh, you know, that killer is really going through a lot of work to do a lot of stuff. Um, and that blanket also held a pubic hair not linked to anyone in the family and an unidentifiable, unidentifiable, identifiable, you know what I'm saying, DNA material from not a single, not from a single intruder, but a compost, um, not compost, a composited, a comp, a composite from multiple people that was on her underwear and beneath her fingernails so meaning there was multiple people also dna on her long johns appeared to come from john benet and at least two other people not just one there was also a on a unidentified palm print which i circle back to of an unknown age that was on the wine cellar door the underwear i'm not gonna say panties because that just seems i mean weird for a six-year-old the underwear on her body were too large for john benet and with her long johns it contained a stain with male dna which could not be linked to anybody um in the house so it wasn't a member of anybody in the house but it was linked in 2008. Um, DNA on a wristband, on not the wristband, on the waistband of the long johns that she was also wearing. Okay. Upon viewing the body, now Patsy explained that she had never before seen these underwear on her daughter's body. Detectives later found out that Patsy over here had recently purchased that very pair of underwear at Bloomingdale's in New York for her 12-year-old niece, but John Bonet had begged her mom to keep them for her because I guess she liked she liked them. So her mom decided to actually put them away and save them for her. Prior to the murder, even friends of family, you know, they knew about this underwear story. If Patsy did recognize, okay, the distinctive underwear, was she lying to that, was lying, you know, to the police? Was she trying to be like, not try, not to be. Was she trying to point the police in, like, another direction? Because that seems a little weird. Because, you know, this is a piece of underwear that she said she never saw. And then detectives learned, like, family friends were like, no, Patsy bought them underwear. Why would Patsy lie about that? It is, you know... Was it evidence that she knew had been planted? Like, see, this is why this case frustrates me because I feel like it's all mumble jumbled and we're not, we're never going to get, I feel like we're never going to get answers. And it's irritating. 
The underwear alone proves the case. Recovery of such vital evidence occurred despite, you know, Boulder's untrustworthy and obstructionist district attorney running interference for the Ramses, for example, by repeatedly denying search warrant applications and hindering investigators' standard efforts to obtain credit card and telephone records, etc. We're going to come back to the DA because I have a huge problem with them and what they were doing because I think the Boulder Police Department really meant well. I believe they were onto something and when they tried to do it, the the district attorney's office shut that shit down and was like, no, we know they might have killed their daughter. This is allegedly, this is my opinion. Nobody sue me. Um, the district attorney was like, you know, we know and think you're right, but they put a stop to it because Fleet White, I'm going to get to it in a little bit, he says stuff about DAs, and I think, I think I know what happened, and I'm going to crack the damn case before I die. Anyway, okay. So, now, an officer named Barry Park Op had interviewed some next-door neighbors, and what they said was crazy, needless to say. Scott Gibbons said he saw a strange, like, he saw strange lights and movements coming from the kitchen area around midnight. Now, they would have been exactly, that would have been exactly two hours after the Ramseys had gotten home from the neighbor's party. Another neighbor named Melody Stanton had, you know, woken her husband up around midnight after she heard screaming and her husband stated that he heard like the sound of metal clashing against cement. So two neighbors heard this, okay? Why didn't they call the police? We obviously know if you know true crime, you have heard of the bystander effect where you probably think, oh, somebody else has to call, right? Because they've heard it too. So maybe that's why they didn't call. I don't know. Now, if two neighbors, two different neighbors heard heard and saw weird things going on in the Ramsey's house, you would think that the Ramsey's would had to have heard the same thing, okay? Even if an intruder broke in the house, you would hear something. I mean, I know I would. But also, you know, maybe the neighbors didn't call because they thought, you know, maybe the Ramseys did hear it and they were going to call the police. But, of course, the Ramseys said they simply did not hear anything. I just want to know, if your neighbors could hear it, how could you not when you lived in that house? That doesn't make any sense to me. That's actually kind of strange if you think about it. Now, remember that flashlight, what I told you to keep that in mind. Well, the flashlight, like when that detective who wrote the on the forum said, it seemed like she could have been hit with like something like blunt, like a flashlight or something similar. They actually found a flashlight on the counter and it was normally, it normally wasn't kept there. But it was always in a nearby place, if that makes sense. That's what it said. Now, in December 26th, December 27th, 1996. So, like, the was it? 
yeah, like a couple days after. The day after. Kathy, you know, she was feeling like very exhausted and she decided to lay down. And she had a friend over and her name was Pam Griffin. Pam was the one who actually made all of John Bonet's co- pageant costumes. Pam thought Pamsy <laughs> Pamsy Pam thought Patsy was delirious and sh- when she asked, you know, could you fix this for me? As as she like thought like as Pam thought like as a like as if a sewing machine was going to bring her daughter back home. Pam then remembers Patsy saying, "We didn't mean for this to happen." And at that moment, Pam got a definite feeling in her weakened condition, Patsy had revealed that she knew who the killer was. And, you know, I, like, I agree because that, I mean, that's very strange. I mean, why are you going to tell your friend, we, we didn't mean for this to happen? What didn't you mean for what to happen, Patsy? And then you had John, like I talked about before, tell the detective that this had to be an inside job. Okay? So... You got Patsy saying that. You got John saying that. So that's very weird. I mean, so was it actually, you know, I mean, the only thing I think was it actually supposed to be a kidnapping for, like, publicity? And then it went too far? I mean, we don't know. We only know theories, which I am going to touch on probably in the next one. We are going to be talking theories later because I have a couple theories and I found some theories that kind of make sense. Um, so, you know, we're going to go back to the note quickly. So everybody had to take a handwriting test. They needed handwriting samples. Um, and there's only one person who could not be ruled out. And that was Patsy. John and their son, Burke, were clean that were cleaned and basically were dismissed saying, like, they didn't write the note. Now, Burke, a lot of people had, like, thought, like, he was involved with his sister's murder for the longest time. And I think a lot of people still do. Me, personally, I don't think his... I don't think he had anything to do with killing his sister. Um, I think, if anything... He was told or he knows more than what he's saying, but that's just my theory. Um, I did not listen to the phone call. I'm going to listen to it. Uh, I've just been freaking busy because, you know, oh, yeah, because I, I, you know, I started Trader Joe's and I worked there all the time. So that's a theory of mine. Um, Now, back to that 911 call, you know how Patsy, you know, she made that thing and like the operator was like she thought she heard like now what and they said like the call didn't actually hang up and they heard the ramsey's son burke and i think they said they they heard him say like what did you find but i'm gonna listen to it tonight because i want to know which you know that doesn't that doesn't seem right because you know his parents said that burke slept all night and he didn't wake up at all now first off if all they all slept at night, how would they really know? 
Because apparently, you know, you didn't hear anything when your neighbors heard, like, the the metal clashing. People saw the lights. How do you know Burke just didn't wake up? And his fingerprints were on the bowl with patsies of pineapple and the glass. So, you know, did someone give Burke a midnight snack? And then he ate it, you know, while his parents went to bed? And this is a theory, you know, they say that John Bonet like got up herself to use the bathroom and she ended up like going downstairs and she saw her brother eating pineapple and you know she wanted some and he took she like took a piece and Burke went and they say Burke like a theory like Burke went into some like sort of like spiral. Now this person who has this theory says it might sound silly for a nine-year-old to kill his sister over pineapple, but they think that it's a logical explanation of John Bonet's death. Now, according to a family friend, Burke has always been a quick, angered. Even he's been like very angry even before his sister's death, and I'm gonna let, I'm gonna explain. They say, um, him and his sister were, play, were playing a game of golf, and. Burke lost his temper, and he actually hit her over the head with a golf club, leaving a scar on her head. But Burke lashing out did not end there. According to the Ramsey's former housekeeper, he used to spread feces around his sister's room whenever she would upset him. I mean, that's very... Uh, sorry, I got a text message. <laughs> I was reading it. Um, now they every time he would do that i mean that's just a little weird now i'll play devil's advocate for a minute i don't think in any way like i said he did anything to his sister all right but you know siblings fight not obviously this extreme i mean some might fight like this i don't know now, it's said that their parents, you know, doted on both of them. But maybe Burke felt like they favored his sister a little more. And, you know, maybe that's why he lashed out on her all the time. Because he wasn't getting enough. He felt like he wasn't getting the same attention. Um, But, you know, I can't tell you for sure. Kids lash out. I think if, you know... If they were doing that and he did lash out, maybe it was his way to, like, kind of get his parents' attention. Like, say, like, maybe if I get in trouble, you'll put a focus on me and stop worrying about her for a little bit. But, I, I mean, I don't know. Even though with that theory of Burke, you know, so that was a theory. And I wrote enough with that theory of Burke that killed his sister. Um... I mean, that's just, I mean, I feel like you're really, like, that's the far reach. But I don't know, because people do think he did kill his sister over, you know, because of the pineapple. I just don't believe it. That's hard for me to believe. Now, a child psychologist stated, you know, there was a healthy, caring family relationship that existed in the household. And the police chief, Mark, had actually dismissed the theory around nine-year-old Burke. And I'm going to talk about him more a little bit later, but I don't, like I said, I don't think he was involved. I just don't. You can have your own opinions. 
I don't think he was involved. While the Ramses completed... Oh, I'm sorry. While the Ramses completely denied their involvement of their daughter's death, many in the Boulder, the police department, you know, they believed they had enough evidence for the district attorney to charge her parents for the murder. So in 1998, then Boulder County DA Alex Hunter presented the case to a grand jury of eight women and four men. The grand juries are among the very few people who have seen all of the evidence um, prosecutors presented um, in the case against John and Patsy. Now, grand jury proceedings in Colorado are secret, and the penalties for re- revealing testimonies or evidence can be severe, including jail time. I did not know that when I was researching. I don't even. I'm gonna look more into it to see if that's real. Um, because I've never heard of that, but hey, I mean. That could be a Colorado thing. I don't know. Despite that, you know, that threat, one member of the juror, the jury, he, they actually decided to talk with um, ABC News 2020. Given the possible repercussions, 2020 did agree to withhold his name. And this is what the juror said about it a little bit. The juror said he knew very little about the murder of John Bonet before he saw the evidence in the case. He said, quote, I saw that there was a little girl dressed up, in my opinion, like a sexual um, persona, and it disgusted me. And I turned off the TV, and the juror told 2020, over the course of more than a year, the juror said, and the other grand juries grappled with the testimony, you know, from like dozens of witnesses and even took a field trip to the Ramsey's house where they went into the basement to see the crime scene with their own eyes. In the basement where she was found, um, it, they said it was actually very, like, obs- it was an obscure layout. You, you know, he said you come down the spiral uh, stairwell and you go into another room to find the door that and that was closed. It was... It was a very eerie feeling. It was like somebody had been killed here. The juror said he believes at believes that there was enough evidence to indict John and Patsy Ramsey for a crime, but he doesn't think they would have been convicted. But he doesn't think they would have... Oh, I'm sorry. But there is... Uh, I was going to repeat what I said. <laughs> there is no way that I would have been able to say beyond a reasonable doubt that this is a person, oh, I'm sorry, reasonable doubt that this is that person, the juror said. And if you're going, if you are the district attorney, if you know that going in, it's a waste of taxpayers' dollars to do it, still, so he was like, you know, they might not have just, like, thought, like, the juror basically was like, maybe the DA didn't think it was worth it. And he still, uh, like, he uh, still says the grand jury did recommend charges against John and Patsy Ramsey indicting them, and the jurors believe they placed John Bonet in a situation um, that, I'm sorry, he says the grand jury did recommend charges against John and Patsy Ramsey, indicating the jurors believe that they placed John Bonet in a situation 
situation resulting in her death. So they believe they put her there and they were like, yeah, they seem guilty. So now let's take a look back uh, to the Whites. As you know, they were the ones that were there of the morning when John Bonet was just missing. They also had taken the Ramsey son, Burke, actually out of their family home in order to shield him from the nature of the incident. You would think the Whites would be. You would think the Whites would have um, been on the Ramsey side. You know, they were there the whole time. But in fact, Fleet White himself thought some things, you know, were just off and maybe things weren't adding up. And, you know, Fleet, good for you, buddy. Because <laughs> I agree. So when you look at, you know, like he looked at the whole picture, he's like, no, this doesn't make sense. Let me explain. So going back to John Bonet's body, Fleet was with John, as we know. But Fleet didn't comfort him, didn't comfort John when he picked, um, when, you know, I guess when John picked up John Bonet. He actually picked up the black tape that was placed over her mouth and he actually examined it in, um, very intensely, which I don't know if that was a good thing, but he did that. Now, no one knows, you, they say no one knows where this tape came from because it has never been determined with nothing in the house matching it. But Fleet over here thought he did recognize this tape. He said it reminded him of the white sailing tape he had used on many trips, fishing trips, um, with John. And I, you know, that's very strange. So here's the things that he said stuck out. You know, the broken window. I believe it was broken from the inside and wasn't broken from the outside. I believe, like, or maybe it's the opposite. I actually forget. Oh, yep. Okay. And then the end of the paintbrush that we were talking about that was never found, but part of the bristle was found in a tube containing that was containing in Patsy's art supplies because the paintbrush belonged to Patsy. See? Where things are adding up and that's not making sense, guys? The foot or the shoe print, because there's a shoe print um, outside. And I, I'm going to touch on that a little bit later because that's more a little bit about Burke. The tape over her mouth, the nylon cord, her being dressed in something completely different, you know, the bigger underwear, the baseball bat that I haven't got to, and I got to the flashlight. All of that was weird, and, you know, let's not forget that ransom note. The likelihood that a complete stranger broke into their house and was able to know exactly where JonBenet's bedroom was amongst many, amongst, like, the many rooms in that damn house. A stranger, if it was one, was able to move a six-year-old quietly without waking anybody else up, giving her pineapple, almost spent two hours on the premises um, after assaulting her, all before finding the, the required tools for the garage and the ransom note that is beyond improbable. And the police agreed. They were like, this makes sense. Because what, like we said in the first one, the note they believe was written in the home because they found like the drafts. If a intruder was going to kidnap somebody, they would already have everything planned out. They'd bring the tools. They would, I mean, they probably would lay out the, like, look at the layout of the house. I could see that. 
But like Patsy's mom said and family friends and nannies and all of them, they said you couldn't find that basement unless you actually knew where it was. Okay. So I don't, this is why I don't think a stranger did it. This is why somebody knows something and we're going to figure it out, guys. Now the Ramses, okay, so the police are totally agreeing with Fleet's things. He's saying, they're like, yes, this makes sense. Now the Ramses, you know, they attended the border police. They went to the border police station to answer questions and stuff like that. They provided forensic samples like hair, blood, and handwriting samples. We obviously know that Patsy didn't pass the handwriting samples, but she actually did not go because she was too distracted with events to attend. Now, the Ramses lawyered up um, even actually before the body was found. This is what Fleet said. I mean, and I said, you, you know, maybe you, like I said in the beginning, maybe you shouldn't do that if you don't have anything to hide. Um, and when they lawyered up, obviously they didn't give anything to police. But in reality, I feel like, you know, they weren't doing much anything beforehand, like I said. They wouldn't give any more, like, testimonial evidence without a criminal attorney present. So they were like, when the, the police were like, okay, can we give blood samples or something from you? They probably were like, okay, let me, let me get my criminal attorney lawyer to make sure that's okay. They wouldn't just do it voluntarily. They wanted their lawyer there. Which, I mean, I get, but then also it's just a little weird. On New Year's Day in 19... I'm sorry, on New Year's Eve in 1996 at Peachtree... Oh my god, I cannot pronounce this church, so I'm going to try. Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, John Bonet was buried in a pageant gown and a sparkling tiara. This story still, you know, obviously still continued to make headlines across a a shocked America because it made headlines. I mean, yeah, a six-year-old. Now, during this time, the relationship between the Ramses and the Whites would actually be severed with differing accounts of what hap of what transpired. The Ramses claimed that Fleet White began to behave erratically, and at the same time, the Whites maintained that John Ramsey objected to Fleet telling him to cooperate with the police. The family attorneys acting in the acting in a threatening manner. So it seemed like Fleet was just, you know, saying, Hey, you know, maybe just tell them what you know because this doesn't make sense. Now the Ramses, um, they were asked to take polygraph tests, but they actually refused to take them. Now, this obviously does not mean they are guilty because polygraphs, you know, are based on, you know, your nerves and stuff like that. So I've heard. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know if I were to take one, I probably fail because I just have very, very bad anxiety and my nerves would be everywhere. So on April 18th, they actually were officially named suspects and they were given, um, Formal police interviews on April 30th. Patsy was questioned for six and a half hours and John was only questioned for two. Now they continued talking to the press, denying that they killed their daughter. 
and that they had nothing to do with it. And at this point, the police were doing, you know, they're working on the handwriting samples because that didn't come back. They were just trying to get all this stuff. Now, we do know that Patsy showed very similar patterns to the note by Wong, who we covered in the first part. Um, and we know that John was ruled out and Patsy couldn't be. But later, federal court ended up ruling that Patsy wasn't the author and it was highly unlikely that she wrote it. So, all right. So the Ramses were publicly attaching, I'm sorry, publicly, publicly, publicly attacking the police and the press in the atmosphere and it changed in the... It basically changed the public opinion. And it was sharply divided between those who felt that the police should look elsewhere and those who believed that the family was basically getting away with murder. But the police were far from focusing on the Ramses, alone with over 1,600 people named in their person of interest. But by December, a New York attorney named Darnay Hoffman. She actually filed a complaint with the district attorney for Boulder asking for an explanation to why Patsy hadn't been indicted for murder. Yes, there was evidence that somebody inside the home had been responsible for the killing. It was Patsy's paintbrush and, you know, it was her notepad notepad that was utilized. It was Patsy's it was Patsy who found the note. Her fingerprints were on the bowl of pineapple. And her fingerprints of the unidentified palm print on the door. It was Patsy's. Okay? As far as I know, Patsy didn't go down there in any like research that I did. But her palm print was found on the wine cellar door. Fibers from Patsy's jacket were found in the paint tray. Tied to the ligature. And on the blanket that covered the body. And on the tape. Meanwhile, fibers from John's black wool wool shirt were found in his daughter's underwear. And like I've said, like I've already stated, when her body was found, John was in contact with his pilot, and he wanted to go to Atlanta with Patsy and his son. But luckily, the police were able to stop that. So, you know, New York over there called Colorado and was like, "Okay, what's going on? You guys have all of this stuff." You have a case. Okay. And there was even a possibility of the sexual abuse that couldn't be discontinued. So, divisions were seen in the public and replicated in the official events investigation with the particular animosity between Boulder PD and the district's attorney's office. They began, it began was very detrimental to the case. Despite Hunter's comment to the DA's office, they enlisted former Detective Lou Smith to assist delivering his findings in May of 1998. That concluded the evidence pointed away from the Ramsey family. So the DA's office, so the DA's office was saying, no, the Ramseys didn't have anything to do with the murder of killing their own daughter. But the Boulder PD, they felt differently about that and basically said, no, the killer is someone in the family. We have all of this evidence. 
it just makes sense. And even Fleet White had this to say about the DA's office. He thought that the DA's office was honestly corrupt. Which, you know what? I fully believe and I think they were. Because that makes no sense. You have all this evidence to prosecute them. Or the mom. Alright? Think about that. Think about it like this. You have an American family that is well-known. They obviously have a lot of money. And if the Ramseys had anything to do with it, I believe they paid people hush money. So it wouldn't go anywhere. It would all be swept under the rug, essentially. This is my opinion. Obviously, we don't know for sure. Um, but that's mine. You can have your own. I, I'm just going where the clues lead me. And the falling out between the Ramses and the Whites had, is also strange to me. I also believe that at some point the Whites looked back and they said, wait a minute, and took time to focus to see what it really looked like. And I think Fleet White believed that the Ramses actually had something to do with it. But then again, that's my opinion. Now, like we talked about, they were indicted by a grand jury. Um, and they were eventually cleared. And I say that with quotations because it does not make sense. A lot of people blame Patsy and Burke. I do believe in my heart that Burke had nothing to do with his sister's murder. I don't believe he played a role. But, you know, we're going to go back to 2002. When a new DA came on the case, her name was Mary Lacey, and she took over the investigation. Like the other DAs in her office, she believed that it was an intruder, obviously, because it's from the same DA's office. In December 2003, evidence came to light that some that would seemingly finally exonerate the Ramses. They ended up finding blood, like I said, in her underwear, and the investigation in- extracted enough DNA to build a profile, and it did belong to an unknown male. Um, um, an unknown male, but no one in the Ramsey's family. So, because of that, Lacey was actually able to exonerate them by saying, this DNA doesn't match to the people who Boulder PD are trying to charge, so we don't, they don't have a case. But do we know if it was actually found like that, or did they just think that? Um, and that's where we're actually going to end. I actually did not think this would almost take an hour. Damn. Um. Oh, let me take a drink real quick. <laughs> All right. So, in the third case, we are going to be talking. I'm going to be talking about eight potential people who the police believe that um were involved. Um, they have like of who they think were involved. We're also going to talk about some theories, and I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. But, you know, I don't think we're ever going to find any fucking answers, so we can all just assume and everything, and it never be solved, because that's what it looks like it's going. And then we're also going to have some, you know, devastating news about Patsy. If you know the case, you already know what's coming up um, after this and everything. But I don't know. I have some theories. We're going to talk about Burke a little bit. 
And we're just gonna, you know, hopefully wrap a nice bow on this for the last episode. Depending on what I find, it might be a third parter. I'm really hoping not. But, I'm sorry. I really hope it's not a fourth parter, but if it is, it is. Hopefully we can wrap it up as a third. But, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram. You know the thing that I don't keep up a lot on. And that's at Just a Girl in True Crime because, you know, I just have 50 other freaking things going on. You can send me a Gmail at Just a Girl in True Crime at gmail.com. You can follow the TikTok account that I made. It's called Heaven's True Crime. Uh, what else? Oh, you can like the Facebook page because people have really been liking that. So thank you guys so much. I think I got like four likes. It might not seem like a lot to y'all, but I got four likes in the past week. So thank you guys for liking it. Um, what else? Am I missing anything else? Nope, I don't think so. Remember to spread love and not hate. Um, mom, mom. I think that's it, guys. And with that, I'm signing off because um. That's it, and we don't have anything else to talk about right now. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. That's how I'm going to end out every, um, that's how I'm going to end out every episode part. What do y'all think? Alright, guys. Well, I will be talking to you later. And I'll see you next time. I hope you hear could hear me okay. Bye.